What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. We are back again for another Sports Card Show podcast. Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Not a whole lot going on, I would say, in the hobby uh, and in the sports world, quite frankly. We've got uh, the the middle of baseball, so we're trying, you know, where teams are fighting for position, trying to stay healthy, trying to win as many games as they can, trying to stay out of some of this heat that is uh, running across the country. There is no basketball, but we do have the NBA draft coming up, and football teams are just kind of lightly practicing and stuff. So, needless to say, not a lot driving a lot in the hobby. I know we had some news that Panini re-upped on the uh, NBA basketball exclusive, which is unfortunate. I think it would have been nice to have a, a a second company kind of come in there, or maybe even Panini getting kicked to the curb altogether. But such is life in uh, basketball cards. You kind of have to stick with what we got uh, and not buy it. That's what I recommend. I am not going to buy any basketball cards or especially any unopened uh, basketball cards. Uh, but, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. So on today's show, what the heck are we going to, you know, it might be a pretty quick show if we only talk about kind of the going-ons in uh, the sports world and in the sports card world, not really, quite frankly, not really a whole lot going on. So we'll, um, there was actually a thread on Blowout Forum. Uh, This was probably three or four weeks ago. It's it's probably buried by now. But I think the, the name of the thread was something like, what's the sustainable money in the hobby, and that's from uh, like a seller's perspective. You know, w- y- there's a lot of like quick money and like seasonal money. I think in the uh, sports card world, there's money that kind of comes and goes. There's money that's there. I think group breakers kind of felt that for a while there they were going to dominate the hobby and make so much money, and then they didn't realize, oh man, the barrier entry to be a breaker is a two dollar camera and a free website, you know? Uh, and so, uh, you know, the distributors will sell to anybody with a, a resale number. So it's not really that, that, that sustainable. You know, if you're er- early in on the game, yeah, there might be some money to be made, but that typically gets weeded in like any business. It's not just baseball cards or box breakers or whatever. Um, the stuff, you know, as more competition comes in, it, it becomes harder and harder to stay on top and really, uh, you know, make as much profit as as you want to. But, you know, I thought it was an interesting thread. Thought there was a lot of um, answers or a lot of you know people trying to answer the thread that, um, quite frankly, didn't know what they were talking about. I think a couple of people said vintage cards, which I agree. If you have stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of vintage cards in your house. In your possession, certainly could be a sustainable way to make money. But how are you going to get more of them? You know that I think that's the the definition of sustainable income is time and time again. It's like you know turning on the light switch or turning on you know starting your car in the morning. You want to like a reliable, sustainable car. You don't want to one day go out there and have your car start and the next day it not start. That's like the definition of a lemon. And that's the definition of selling vintage cards. I think you could go for a while, but um, unless you have a really clean bead on acquiring more of them at a good price, I mean, anybody can acquire any kind of cards they want in any amount of quantity, but can they be resold? At what price are you getting at? What price can you then resell them at? I don't think, while I do think vintage cards sell very well, 
I don't think it's a sustainable business model only because um, it is, I would say, relatively hard to maintain your inventory flow of those cards. Obviously, people with more connections, people traveling to shows, people putting ads up that they're buying, uh, like that Al Rosen or whatever his name was. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away, I think, recently. Uh, But he was always out there saying, I'm buying, I'm buying, I'm buying. I think at that point, yeah, maybe you can turn it into a sustainable business. But um, I can only think of one guy, I think of one guy that was really doing that on on a big scale. So um, I don't think vintage cards, I don't think actually selling the cards is the sustainable model. I think there's far more sustainable things to be selling. Some people brought up supplies, and I actually thought that was um, a correct answer. Selling sports card supplies is a sustainable business model, and it's something that uh, can be sold a lot because think about it. Single cards are, excuse me, supplies are not consumed in the sense like toilet paper or like light bulbs or, uh, uh, you know, a commodity like that that actually gets used up and then gets thrown away. You know, typically you're not throwing away your, your supplies, but they do get used up. You, you buy a top loader and you put a card in it and it, it's essentially used up at that point. You kind of need to buy more uh, as long as you're acquiring more cards. So, I like supplies. I think if you're looking to, to for sustainable money, I think that's there. But nobody actually put what I think is the number one. I have the number one most sustainable way to make money in this hobby. And this is after many years of trying myself, trying to sell on eBay, trying to sell uh, at a card store, trying to sell online, trying to do all that. I have the number one way, number one, most sustainable, easiest, fast, not necessarily the fastest, but definitely one of the easier ways to make money and definitely sustainable, something where you can get a check month after month after month and not do anything. And I, and I have a very specific, I have very specific example of this. And in fact, I've actually practiced this for almost the last almost 10 years. We're, we're about a year, about another six, seven months away from my 10-year anniversary of actually doing this exact business model within the sports card hobby. And my second sustainable business idea is really, it's, it's going to be a little different. It's not quite uh, what I would call a sustainable business model, but what I would do is, is call it like... Um, you know, it's an alternative business model that people don't really go to that I actually think um, has a lot of growth, that, that still has a lot of growth left into it. I'm really just getting into it now. And that's selling on Amazon. So I'll, the back half of this show, I've been, um, I've been selling on Amazon really just one item for the last two or three years. My dad wrote a book a few years ago. So I've been helping him sell it on Amazon. And but for the last, I would say about 12 months or so, I've been listening to a lot of, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I've listened to a lot of e-commerce podcasts. So they talk a lot about, obviously, Amazon and eBay and having your own website, you know, ads on Facebook, all this stuff. It kind of relates to, to what I do on the internet anyway. So it, it, it has a lot of value. But I've just listened to so many of these podcasts that I've, I've decided, well, I think it's about time that I got into Amazon. So I'm really about a three or four weeks in not selling baseball cards or supplies or anything like that. 
Um, so I'll give it, I'll give you kind of the Amazon take from a different angle, but, um, you know, maybe convince some of you that are already selling, maybe already have a business kind of built up. I'll give you some Amazon tips that I think you should really look to get rolling here because we're coming up into the fourth quarter of Amazon. And that's really, from, from everything I've heard, again, I haven't experienced it firsthand, though my, my dad's book does sell better during the fourth quarter. Typically, that's when most of the, or all the sales occur is in the fourth quarter. I'll talk to you about some of the things you could be doing now to be ready for this fourth quarter. I honestly think... I'll be able to do $100,000 in sales um, in, on Amazon in the fourth quarter. Now, obviously, it, I have to source that, that much product. I'm going to have to source $100,000 worth of product, but I think it's possible. So we'll talk about that. First thing is first, though, the number one, the number one easiest, best, most sustainable way to make money in this hobby is having a free website and putting up free information about baseball cards. And you might ask, well, how the heck do you make money putting up free information? And there's actually quite a bit of ways to make money. And I'll be honest with you, the ways to make money uh, this way have gotten worse. It actually was even easier and more lucrative to have a baseball card website or really any website um, several years ago. So about two years ago, three years ago, they changed the commission structure but before that, it was literally like free money. Um, and this is, was coming from eBay, more specifically the eBay Partner Network. So what eBay Partner Network is, if you don't know, it's an affiliate program. So Amazon, eBay, pretty much any major website, uh, e-commerce website has, um, and even a lot of little e-commerce websites have an affiliate program. And basically what that is, is like a referral program. So if you come to my website, I have a link to eBay on there and you click on it. In the past, eBay would give you a very generous uh, percentage on that traffic. So somebody would click on the link and within seven days, if they bought something on eBay, I would get a percentage. And so you, you can imagine if only one or two or five people are coming to your website every day, the odds of somebody clicking on your link is probably pretty low. The odds of them buying is pretty low. But those numbers go up and up and up almost exponentially the more traffic you get. So if you start getting 100 people to your website or 300 or 400 or 500 or even 1,000 or as much as Sports Card Radio would get four, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 um, people, individual users per day coming to the website. So you can imagine if you got 4,000 people come to your website, odds are 1% you know, even 2% of those people are going to click on something. Actually, it's, it's a, it was a little higher than that. It was probably closer to 10%. So you're getting 400 to 1,000 clicks per day. And out of those four to 500 people, at least, again, another 1% to 10% of them would end up buying something. Now, what eBay ended up doing was they used to get, when somebody would click on that link and buy something, you used to have seven days for them to buy something, essentially. They could click on my link on my website, and seven days could go by, and then they could buy something on eBay, and I would still get credit. So it was a great thing, great. Uh, it's called a cookie. Um, 
And so essentially, you click on my link, it installs a cookie on your browser, it allows eBay to track where that sale came from. Well, eBay decided very wisely, in fact, to reduce that number down to 24 hours, which is where uh, Amazon was and where most, you know, high converting websites like eBay really converted well because everybody knows eBay, everybody was comfortable buying on there, especially with sports cards, it's the number one place to buy sports cards. No reason why eBay needed to give you a seven-day cookie. But since they were, uh, you better believe my brother and I are, are like the kings of easy money. Ever since we opened a card store and went broke doing that, we were like, man, we're never, we're never doing hard money, hard labor money ever again. So they were giving you seven days. Uh, and then they reduced it to 24 hours. Now, somebody has to come to your website and buy, click on a link and buy something within 24 hours. So you can understand that even if you have the same amount of traffic coming in, if you reduce that cookie by you know, 90%, essentially, or 95%, your, your payments are going to, and your conversion rate is going to go down. So I'll preface, again, I, well, long, there's a long way of me prefacing this saying it, it was even a better way to make money. So if you're listening to this and you missed the gold rush, you really should be kicking yourself a little bit because it really was just an absolute, pure, absolute easy way to make money. 10 grand a month. I mean, if you, if you were sitting there like my brother and I were doing and working on our websites four to six hours a day, it was 10 grand a month in your pocket. Easy without having to do anything, not charging anybody anything, not taking anybody's credit card information, not having to buy any inventory or sell or get on a webcam, certainly not having to pack and ship anything. Obviously, there was still work involved, but, um, you know, slightly less. Now, the cool thing is, is this, uh, the, the reason why I call having a website really sustainable is the content stays up. The content, as long as you're writing uh, the right stuff, is relevant ye- even years after the fact. And so, uh, you know, to give you a very specific example, sportscardradio.com at one time was doing great, doing five figures a month. eBay would invite us to Vegas and we'd talk to other uh, eBay partner networks because we were in the top, we were one of their top, I think we were in their top 100 uh, uh, affiliates on, uh, because you can imagine most people that get into affiliate marketing, they make either zero or very little. But if you start making thousands, $10,000 a month, you are in the top 1%, maybe even the top half of 1%. And so that's where we were for a while uh, when the conversions were great and it was really worth putting in a lot of effort. Well, once eBay changed their model, it wasn't, you know, no way am I going to sit there and uh, spend four to five hours on something that's going to convert at a a rate that that is not, not worth that kind of time. However, Sports card radio, every month, we get a check. Sometimes it's not very much. Sometimes it's 300 bucks. Sometimes it's 400 bucks. Sometimes it's $1,000. Sometimes it's $2,000. Usually never much more than that. Mainly because, again, where, they've, where the, the cookie structure, also you're, you're dealing with sports cards. It has a, a while it is a, a pretty big marketplace on eBay, um, it's still less than a lot of other things. Um, so, but it's still really sustainable money. Think about that. Imagine if you were a group breaker and you could just shut it down, shut down your stream, never have to break again, never have to um, open a box and pack and ship to anybody. 
and you were still getting $300 to $1,000 to $1,500 a month. We'll call it $300 to $1,500 a month because that's really where it's at now. Imagine if you didn't have to do anything and you still got that money coming in. I call that sustainable money and that's having a free website. So Sports Car Radio, my brother and I really have stopped putting up, we've, no, we've stopped putting up checklists as of almost three, four years ago now. We really only put up podcasts, which have no links, no way to make money. These podcasts are really done for fun, essentially. Um, my brother puts up some new, like hit piece. My brother likes putting up hit pieces and news and stuff like that. And those do actually get a lot, uh, a lot of traffic, but uh, make no money, really. You know, I think he actually does that to lose. My brother actually puts those, to give you a little insight, my brother actually puts those pieces up to lose money. So he buys ads to them. It's because my brother does well uh, selling football tickets. And, uh, you know, instead of sending uh, all the money to our, our great and well-run government in Washington, he, or in California, even worsely run, but uh, he decided, he want, you know, he's doing this stuff for a tax write-off. It's kind of fun. It, it riles people's feathers and it gets under people's skin. I think he kind of likes that. But uh, definitely not a good way to um, get affiliate co commissions. Um, you know, putting up checklists, putting up information about the cards, very much um, a great way to get traffic and make some money. So how can you do this? How can you um, start your own website? How can you um, start getting some of this money? Again, you're late to the party, but someone that's late to the party might still look at like eBay Partner Network as something like, oh, this is, this is worth putting a lot of time in, into. I wouldn't say it's worth putting all your time into or hours and hours a day or devote an entire website just to convert on this, but it is still, I consider, the most sustainable money in the hobby. And I'm actually going to give you um, two content ideas. If you want to start a website, you're not sure what you, what you should put up. I'm going to give you two content ideas that I can almost guarantee, in fact, I do guarantee this, um, if you do, if you set up your website correctly, if, um, you know, you follow all the best practices with starting a website, and there's so many of them, I could have my own podcast on them, but you need your website to be, have a responsive template, I think is the easiest way to do it these days. So in other words, it needs to be a template that looks good on a desktop computer, on a tablet, and then shrinks down onto a mobile phone well. And all the, the text and the context and everything um, looks good. Okay. There's no, there's not too, you know, you can, you're going to have flawed, nothing, no website is perfect, especially the, the bigger and more, the, you know, if you get up to, I think sports car radio has, I don't know how many, maybe four or 5,000 articles at this point. When you get up to that scale, not everything's going to be perfect, but, um, you know, for the most part, it works pretty well, especially in the last couple of years. So you need to follow best practices. You're, you know, you need to, you need to do things the right way. Um, but if you do it the right way, I've got two content ideas, uh, that, definitely will work for you because I know, because I've actually put up some of this content on sports card radio and it's literally the, the, we've put up, my brother and I've put up from 2008 to about 2013, put up almost every checklist of every product that came out, baseball, football, basketball, and even hockey. 
from again from 2008 to about two. I can't remember what year we kind of stopped. But it was 2012, 2013. Again, the reason why we stopped was because eBay changed their uh, commission terms, and I had and we, m- my brother and I both had websites at the time that would then uh, websites not sports card radio websites in other areas that would convert better and were worth then spending more time on. But we've put up some, some uh, content that still gets a lot of traffic. And if I had more time, or if, again, eBay, say eBay went back to seven-day cookies, I would, I would run and start putting up baseball content again if it started converting like it did um, you know, four or five years ago. It would then be worth it uh, for me. But again, someone just starting out, someone that has no extra income, someone with a job, uh, a young person with some extra time, I think this is uh, definitely worth it. I think you could build this up within 12 months. You could build this up to be a three, $400 check, and then you could turn it off. And I think you still could, you could maybe not $300, $400 a month, but you could easily get it to where you're easily clearing $100 to $200 a month. So the content that I think is the lowest hanging fruit that not a bunch of other websites are putting up. I mean, I'm saying it on this podcast, so you know, if you want to get into this, you might want to do it pretty quick because people tend to uh, listen to this podcast and follow these ideas. Because um, we've had, had a lot of success. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or pat my brothers on the back. There has been two people working on this website, but you could get a, a Philippines a virtual assistant working for $3 an hour uh, put, uh, doing a lot of the, the legwork for you. So it's not like you, you, know, you need to be sitting there grinding if you don't want to. But the two pieces of content that I think uh, are underserved and have a lot of traffic, a lot of interest, especially from like average collectors, um, not your hardcore collectors. I really don't think the hardcore collector is that... It, it honestly isn't that great a traffic. I'd rather get the casual buyer, the casual person kind of visiting my website. And the two... The first uh, content I would put up is information about junk wax. So 1989 tops, 1990 tops, 1991 Donruss, 1992 score. Any of that junk wax area, you're really just looking at like a dozen sets because it wasn't like they came out with 30 sets in a year back then. It was really one set and they had series one, series two, series three. And there was really only two or three manufacturers there at the time. Yeah, maybe more like four or five if you, if you include Score and Donruss and, and um, Upper Deck obviously came into the business in 89. And you might ask, those cards aren't worth anything. And that's the point. I can't tell you how many times over the years I have gotten cards, had people send me cards, uh, you know, I've been at a party with family and they, you know, we start talking, you know, I make money in baseball cards. So oh, I got baseball cards. Are they worth anything? And it's always that they have 1990s tops and 1990s junk wax. And it's amazing. I would say 99% of people out there don't know that those cards aren't worth very much. And so that information is actually valuable. Actually explaining to a person why those cards aren't valuable and some are, you know, some of these 19, I mean, I've, we sold, uh, my, my brother's greatest buy ever on check on my cards was like, I think it was like 10,000 cards for nine cents each. And it was a lot of junk wax. It was a lot of like 1990s tops. And he literally sold all the cards within 12 months and made hundreds of dollars, 
really set the whole uh, whole account off. Um, so, you know, you could put up information, you know, I think checklists is really just kind of the surface level information about that stuff. That stuff might actually out be out there. It's really the values or the lack of value that those cards have. And think about it. How many people you know have those cards sitting in a box, sitting in their son's closet, sitting in binders? We're talking the majority of people across America, probably a huge percentage of people across America, have that era of baseball cards in their closet. They don't have national treasures in their closet. We're talking about a, a one half of 1% of all people across the United States collect modern cards. But a huge percentage, I'd be willing to bet it's in the high double digits, 30, 40, 50% of people across the country. I bet if I went door to door in my neighborhood and I knocked on the door and asked them if they had any baseball cards, people would pull out 1990 tops, 1991 Donruss, 1988 tops. These are the sets that are in everybody's house because everybody collected them. They were mass produced. They were easy to get, far easier to get than cards today. I mean, you have to go on a damn webcam and chat it up with a bunch of group breakers to, to get cards these days. I mean, it's stupid as hell. Uh, back in the day, you just had to go and buy one for 99 cents at the store. So that, I think, is the, the number one uh, underserved content. And I know this for a fact. My brother and I actually, on Sports Card Radio, the, one of the most popular articles... In fact, it's in the top five most visited article consistently for the last several years was an article about a 1989 baseball card set. And if I had time, again, if I had time, if it was worth it, um, ROI-wise, return on investment-wise, for me, I would do it, okay? I would put up all the sets, Put up information, not just the checklist, but a lot of information on values, um, how to sell them, why they aren't worth anything. If you do want to sell them, this is how much you expect to get, et cetera, et cetera. I would do that. And you might ask, well, why isn't it? Why isn't it worth it for me? Well, guys, I got a house now. I've got a son. I've got a really expensive car. Okay. I can't dilly dally and make $40 in a month. Okay. I've got to start making I mean, I, I do do pretty well on other websites. Uh, and that's the other thing. I have, you know, dozens of websites, and there's ones that require even less work and make, you know, I have one website where I don't work on it. I haven't worked on it in, in fact, I haven't updated it in four years. And I do about 6000 a month on it. And talk about sustainable money. And it's actually in a collectibles niche. It's not sports cards. But collectibles is a, is a really good niche to be in. Um, and, and, you know, maybe putting up this content and kind of going through the motions, it may, might, and that's exactly how I found other, you know, the sports card website. It wasn't my first website, but it was definitely the most successful one. But then I was able to branch out from there. And like I said, go into other niches where you don't even have to put up any, you know, you don't have to update it at all. Just put the information up once. Again, pay some VA in the Philippines to do all the data mining and all this stuff for you. The second, uh, the second content I would put up is 
vintage baseball cards. So just like vintage baseball cards, just like 1989, guess what wasn't around when those cards were made that is now used every second of every day by almost everybody on, uh, in the United States, and that's the internet. The internet was not around. Nobody was putting up checklists or card values of cards made in the 1960s and 70s even, and even the 80s, obviously. Now, today, 2017 Tops comes out, and you have four or five different websites put up information about that set. And that's why it's really not, it's, it, it wouldn't be, I would advise you to stay away from the modern stuff. Might seem like the low-hanging fruit, might seem like the stuff everybody's interested in, but it's really not. Really, I would put up 1960 tops, 1961, 1962, put up all the information about the cards, put up the values. Don't just put up the checklist, put up the values. That's what people really care about. All the little variations, there's all the little airs and little color variations and, and, and stuff uh, of those cards that do make them maybe a little more value, maybe not. Explaining those to people as well is also a great thing to do. Explaining how centering and condition uh, is really important as well. I think the, if, if I were to start, if I was, you know, brand new, fresh, uh, getting into the hobby, trying to create a website, trying to create myself some sustainable income, those are the two areas I would, uh, I would focus on. Either the junk wax, or really you could do both. You can focus on the junk wax era or the vintage cards. And really vintage cards are the most collectible and most popular cards in the hobby today. I know 2017 Tops comes out or Heritage or Chickle or whatever the sets are called these days. And everybody gets really excited on, on the forums or on Twitter, but we're talking about like a thousand people, not even that. It's, it's like a, a small amount of people get really excited about this stuff. Whereas vintage cards, you just look at the auctions, just look at the, not even eBay, you look at like Heritage and these scam auction houses and they sell these cards all the time, and they're always going up in value. I mean, a lot of it's like shill bidding and like insiders bidding up. I mean, you can explain all that too. So there's just some really low-hanging fruit, great content. And again, if I was uh, more into it, or if I didn't have websites that converted at even a better rate, then I probably would uh, gravitate towards that kind of content. I think it's really the low-hanging fruit. You've got Tops and Upper Deck and Panini. There, you know, in 2008, 2009, all the way into when my brother and I stopped putting up the checklist, those companies weren't even putting them on their website, especially in 2008, 2009, 2010, those early years. Nobody was putting up those checklists on their websites. Beckett wasn't even getting them up within, you know, four to five weeks of the set coming out. So is low-hanging fruit. Of course you put it up. But now it's not low-hanging fruit. You've got four, you, there's at least four or five different websites, maybe even more than that, putting this information up. This information is, is readily available. And in fact, it's oversaturated. In fact, there's probably, you know, I think really you could have like two websites or three doing it and you, the, everybody would probably make a little bit. But anything more than that, it's really just going to dilute your traffic. Uh, it's going to dilute your traffic form. It's going to dilute the, the direct traffic you might get. It's really not worth it, I don't think. 
but that is sustainable money 101. Now, how are you going to make money? You're going to put up this 89 top stuff and the money's going to start, start rolling in? Not really. Not really. There's, again, I would bet, I would wager that you would make money. I would wager that, I would definitely wager that you would get traffic. How you make money, how much money you uh, would make, definitely depends on a, a lot of other factors too. But you definitely want to start with the eBay Partner Network. Go sign up. I think if you're in the U.S., you get approved, I think, the same day. There's not – I don't think they're, they're really gated that off and made it hard to join. Um, it's really no – you know, it's no skin off eBay's back to have you referring traffic to their website. If, if they find that you're doing it in a shady way, they'll just not pay you. Um, so – but I would start there. Again, I think, you know, if you're getting uh, – 400 to 1,000 people a day to your website, I think you can make a couple hundred bucks a month pretty easily. Probably a little more than that if you're getting that many people per day. If, you, you know, if you're getting 10 to 20 people per day on your website, again, it's something that you've got to build up slowly. Sustainable doesn't mean uh, you know, big money right off the bat and it just stays that way. You know, sustainable might be just $40 a month, $40 a month, or you know, $100 a month, but it can go on for a decade. I'd rather make $100 a month for a decade than make $1,000 in a month and never make it again. And I think a lot of people don't think about making money that That's why most people struggle with these concepts. Most people need the money right away. They have bills to pay or they want a certain lifestyle or whatever. They, they're already behind on bills or already racked up a lot of debt. They're trying to make it back really fast. And that's really a bad, uh, if you need money really fast, get a job. Uh, improve your skills and get a job. You know what I mean? That's what, that's probably the fastest way to make money. But if you're, you know, sustainable, slow, steady money takes a little bit of effort. You're probably going to work for two months and not really make anything or probably lose money, but you build it up, build it up, build it up. And eventually you reach a tipping point and you start skiing downhill after that point. You know, it's kind of like up the ski slope, whatever those things are called. I don't, I'm not really a skier. But you got to go up the mountain in that thing. So you're not skiing. And then all of a sudden you get to the top of the mountain, you get off the little lift, and you ski down. And it's a smooth, uh, you know, typically smooth, not necessarily always smooth sailing on the way down. But you get the idea. So that's sustainable idea uh, number one. Again, how are you going to make money doing it? That I think I'll leave up to you. Again, you could email me, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can get at me on Twitter, at sportscardradio. But quite frankly, you need the work ethic. I can give you step-by-step, and I've really given you, uh, really, step-by-step what you have to do. Set up a website, and I'll give you two content ideas, which I guarantee will get you traffic and are low-hanging fruit, especially if you spend the time on it. But That's the thing I can't teach you. I can't teach you the work ethic. I can't teach you how you got to sit there and and really be exhaustive on on putting up the content and really speaking to your audience. And your audience is not going to know anything about the cards, which is great. But I can't teach you to consistently put it up, consistently be, you know, What I also can't teach you is after a month when you've lost $100 on your website to keep going, to keep working. I can't teach you that. You could email me every day. I'm not going to be able to teach you that. And quite frankly, that's what most people lack. And it's not just with websites. 
Most people I meet that have a nine to five job, they, they take comfort in having that nine to five, waking up every second Friday and having a check deposited. I haven't had that feeling for like 10 years. And it's because I've had the work ethic, had, had the drive to really get it done. So if you want some sustainable money, you want to make money, it's out there. It definitely is. But I would tell you, 90, probably 99% of the people I meet while they're capable of understanding how, that, uh, how to make the money, they're capable of probably even setting up a website and putting up a little bit of content. I would say 99% of the people that I meet are not capable of doing it time and time and time and not, not sustainable at it. They want sustainable money, but they don't want to sustain the effort required to get it. But those that do, the people that put up content year after year after year after year can all of a sudden hit the light switch and turn it off. And that's exactly what my brother and I are doing. Still getting a check. Still, actually, our lives have both improved, our lifestyles in terms of finances. We're both going to Vegas here in a couple weeks. Check my Twitter swing. We won't be staying on the, on the first floor of the you know, golden nugget or anything like that. Trust me. <laughs> In fact, my, our, our concierge at the Aria Casino will call us a couple days before we get into town. You know you're a sucker when they're calling you a couple days before you get into Vegas just to make sure you're coming. Really, they're just calling to make sure you're coming because his lips are, are salivating. We'll be getting the massages. We'll sit by the pool. We're going to be shooting the dice. We're going to be eating at the steakhouses and the, you know, Javier's great Mexican place in the Aria. Just wonderful. It's not really that expensive either. Great atmosphere, great food, great Mexican food. But that's sustainable idea money number one. So uh, I've given you an idea. It has nothing to do with selling cards. In fact, my brother and I got a lot of traffic, a lot of loyalty by giving away cards. So we actually made more money giving the cards away for free than selling them. Imagine that. But again, if you want to come out and, and you want a piece of this sustainable money, understand you've got to sustain your effort, got to sustain your, your uh, input into it. If you think you're going to be able to work a month on a website and then flip the switch off and, and collect $1,000 a month and go, go, go to Vegas, you're dreaming. I mean, it can happen. I, know, I actually know people in the website business where you know, they, they can do that kind of stuff, but it's typically on their 10th, 20th, 30th website where you're, you, you can pull something like that off. If it's your first try, your second try, third try, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take a couple months, maybe even 12 months. But if you keep putting in the effort, keep putting in the time, uh, it definitely will pay off. Uh, and if you follow my advice of the content you should be putting up, you'll get, it's a shortcut. You'll definitely get there faster. Especially if you put all your time and effort into it and you do a really nice job on it. If you just kind of slap it up, 
and kind of throw it up kind of lazily, chances are you're not going to get a, a great response. But if you really put a lot of passion behind it and really do a good job, guaranteed, guaranteed you'll get traffic, you'll start making money. How much money, again, is up to you. But understand that 99% of the people that I meet in the world are not capable of doing it. And that's why we have, honestly, I tell, people, I tell young people this especially. Older people are, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're set in their ways already. But I tell young people all the time, you have a choice in life. You either be like 99% of the people out there or you be like 1% of the people out there. And you decide. You decide what kind of work ethic, how much money you want to make. You decide. Has nothing to do with who our president is or who's coming across the border or who's not coming across the border. Okay? Has nothing to do with that. It's your decision. It's your choice. Especially with things like the internet these days. I mean, maybe 20 years ago when you really did have to go work for somebody or really grind up a business maybe locally and kind of expand it region by region. Shoot, you can launch a website and be worldwide in, in 25 minutes these days. So there's no excuse. If you want to be a part of the 1% and make money and do really well and kick back and live the life and record podcasts in the mid-afternoon, it's out there. The money's out there. The opportunities are out there. But again, 99% of the people I meet in the world don't make that choice. They make the choice to go, suit up, go to work, work for less than what they're really worth, sit at a desk or you know, go do manual labor, heaven forbid, and basically be a slave. Literally. You get told how many breaks you get, how many times you can, when you can go to lunch and when you're supposed to come back. They even give you a little punch card to clock in and clock out. I mean, you're like a slave. Moving on. So if you've been a slave to eBay, a lot of you guys, I know a lot, I've, ta- I've talked to so many, Brent and Beck is the one on Twitter. I'm always trying to convince that guy. I'm like, dude, you need your own website. You need to get your shit more organized because he has some customers. He has a routine, opens up a lot of stuff, but consistently just sells on eBay. And a lot of people take that lead where, oh, I just got to sell on eBay. Just got to open more and sell more on eBay and just grind it out. Really, that's, really, I think that's foolish. Because I think you, you reach a certain point, whether you're opening up 40 cases or 60 cases or five cases, you reach a point of uh, where you've peaked, essentially. You reach a point of resistance where there's just so much manual labor involved in selling cards on eBay in terms of listing them. Okay, first you got to get the cards. That could be easy or hard. But then you got to scan them list them, then you got to answer 50 questions about each card, especially the more, more expensive ones. Then you got to package them. Then you got to ship them. And there's a lot of stuff in between there. So you've got to have this, you know, got to have your packing and sh- shipping supplies too. Not only just the cards, you got to have the packing supplies. You got to have all the tape, all the bubble mailers, all the different size boxes you're going to need, 
All that costs money. All that takes uh, effort. I'm not saying you have to be a super genius to do it, but my point is you reach a limit there. Yes, you could hire more people, and I think you could streamline some things that way, but you're still going to reach a point where the more money and the more time you put in, the less you're getting out. So you really do reach a tipping point there, and you want to balance that. And that's kind of what, what I was trying to explain in the previous segment. My brother and I worked on sports card radio a lot from about 2008 to 2013 because the ROI was so high. In fact, it was, it was so high that you, know, you couldn't stop working on their website. Literally, you could just put up anything, put up any content, and you were going to make money, get traffic. You really just were throwing crap on the wall and whatever stuck, stuck, and it was great. But there comes a point to where um, there's a tipping point. So sometimes it's when the affiliate program cuts their commission. But I think in baseball cards, especially selling on eBay or even selling through your own fulfillment channel, there comes a point where you're not going to make X, but you could open up, you might be able to make the same amount of money opening 20 cases as you do 40 cases. And I think group breakers probably experience this as well uh, themselves. I've seen a lot of group breakers, you know, cut back on the kind of products that they open. There's some group breakers that only open certain products or certain um, sets or certain sports or kind of have certain types of breaks that they do to cater to a certain amount of customers. Because they could, they could do other breaks, but it's just more effort, more time, and it's not any extra money really. It's just a lot of extra work, a lot of extra expense, and it's not worth it. And so I think that you as a seller, a lot of you guys listening to this prior seller, a lot of you guys have finally branched over to check out my cards. My brother and I have been doing that for years now, telling you on this show, you should be on this because it's super easy to basically flip single cards. I still think if you're a group breaker, it'd be far wiser to... Ship your cards to check out my card. Call up Tim and check out my cards and say, hey, I'm a major group breaker. I want to send all my cards to you. What can, you know, can we work on? Can we, can we do something? Maybe 25 cents per card doesn't work for you. But maybe, you, maybe there's ways you, you can uh, reduce that price a little bit. Because then you'd be able to just open, 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 throw it all in one box, uh, put the check out my cards address on there and be done. Make check out my cards, handle all the shipment and all the packing and shipping to your customers. I think that's a far better business model than trying to, you know, hire, you know, Pablo at $10 an hour to come sort for you. You know what I mean? It'd be far better to outsource that. Because you're going to train Pablo to do it for $10 an hour, and then in in two months or a year or whatever, he's going to find a new job, and you're going to sit there and have to do it yourself, or you're going to have to raise his wage or pay him health care or whatever, you know what I mean? So how do you, if you're a seller already, how do you open up another channel, bring in more revenue? But don't layer on a bunch of extra work. And I really think the most underutilized channel in the sports card world is Amazon. Amazon is the, by far and away the number one e-commerce website. It dwarfs eBay. Amazon could go buy eBay tomorrow. I mean, they just bought Whole Food for $13 billion. 
Amazon could go buy eBay tomorrow and and it it would not even you know it'd be a big it'd be big news obviously but it wouldn't it would put a dent even after 13 billion dollars it wouldn't put a dent uh in Amazon's uh war chest it's not like they have a ton of cash sitting around they have a lot of cash flow but eBay is nothing eBay is a tiny tiny e-commerce site compared to Amazon. Amazon is so much bigger and it's growing. It's actually eBay, especially the only the parts and accessories. In fact, that's why um, that would be the reason why Amazon, I don't think they're going to buy eBay and I don't think the government would allow it anyways. But um, maybe they would, I don't know. But only the parts and accessories. If you're selling car parts and accessories, you should sell on eBay almost exclusively, I think. Because that category is growing and growing at a clip to where it almost makes me want to go get like junk cars or like put up ads like, I want your junk car, I'll pay you $100 for it or, you know, $500 for it or whatever. And that's actually a really good business. I actually know, knew a guy, I actually worked, I mean, this was when I was much younger. I was, uh, worked at a country club, very exclusive country club, beautiful, um, beautiful country club. And I think it was like 20 grand, it was like 25 grand was like the initiation. And there's obviously more expensive clubs around, but this is in the, this is definitely the most expensive club uh, in my area. But it was like $25,000 to join and it was like, like $2,000 a month or something. It was crazy. Um, but there were, so obviously there was really wealthy people there. So a guy was explaining to me his business model. All he did was would, he would buy scrap and garbage cars off people and he'd bring them back. He had a, a, a plot of land. Uh, that was kind of, you know, in the ghetto of town. So you did not, you know, it was like, it was like nothing to buy the land or really maintain it. He just put a bunch of scrap cars on there and he basically like a pick and pull type thing, but he'd sell a lot of stuff online. And I was blown away. I was like, man, you can, I mean, this guy sold junk and was literally a member at the most expensive uh, country club in the area. So it, it's possible. And if I was, um, you know, my point is if I was in that business, I'd be selling on eBay. But everything else, obviously single cards, if you're into single cards, I really think you should go to check out my cards. I think you could sell, you know, the hundred, you know, the hundred dollar card or whatever on eBay, but all your cards that are worth a dollar to five dollars should all go in a box and should go to check out my cards. There's absolutely no reason why you should be packing and shipping and listing all those one by one by one by one. You're just wasting so much time for very very little extra profit. I'm not going to argue with anybody saying, oh, you can make more selling it, listing it individually on eBay. Of course you can. Of course you can list every individual card and pack and ship and answer all the questions one by one and make more than if you send them in to check on my cards. That's not the point. It's all the time and effort you had to do to put that in. You could have done, you could have sourced and bought so much inventory Within that time, you could have made even more money. So the 10 to 20% you might have lost selling them through check on my cards instead of selling them individual on eBay, you could have made that money back because of all the time you would have saved. And that's the thing I don't think a lot of sellers get in this hobby because quite frankly, a lot of them are amateurs. A lot of them are just doing this for a hobby, which is fine. But if you really want to scale up, you've got to outsource a lot of this stuff. And I think uh, check out my cards is great for the single cards. I'm not saying Amazon is going to be your go-to 
place to sell cards or sell, uh, you know, boxes of cards even. But there's so much extra time that you have because you don't need to pack and ship anything. Well, I mean, not anything, but you don't need to pack and ship every individual item. You don't need to go to the U-line and buy boxes for everything that you ship or go to Ultra Pro and get a bunch of cases for everything that you ship. You don't have to sit there and fondle all the cards. So Amazon's a great channel, I think, to kind of expand your business. Sports cards, as we know, also is seasonal. Like I said at the opening of the show, we've had baseball just end. We've had, uh, not baseball just end. Baseball's like in mid-swing, but we've had basketball just end. We have football non-existent. Hockey's over with. This is a really dead time. If you're a group breaker or something like that, you'd be making no money right now. There'd be like nothing to sell, really. Or at least nothing that people are really, really, really excited about. I know we've got some early season football, but that stuff doesn't, even Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott at this point weren't hot. So Amazon's a great channel. And there's a lot of podcasts out there that really go in depth. There's actually three, there's three, three methods, I think. There's probably more than this, but the three main methods of selling on, on Amazon are you can buy the items wholesale. So you can have a reseller uh, license and you can go to any number of wholesalers, whether they're selling garlic presses or baseball cards. You can sign up, look at the price list, look how much it sells on Amazon and uh, essentially be doing kind of an arbitrage game where if you can buy it for 20 from the wholesaler and sell it for 40 on Amazon after fees, you might you know net out 20, 30%. You can do that all day long. Uh, say those opportunities are out there. I um, I don't know how great of an opportunity th- that is. And I think the window to do that is probably closing a little bit. I don't want to say it's, it, you know, it's totally closed, but I would, I wouldn't base my whole Amazon business model on, Oh, I've got some suppliers. I'm just going to order, you know, everybody's trying to do that these days. And in fact, you have wholesalers now, you know, going directly to Amazon. And so sometimes you're, you know, some of the wholesalers you're buying from, they actually sell on, they actually sell the product for a higher price on Amazon already. So you're almost like competing against them. But that's one method. The second method, which is actually what I've been doing the last, um, last three weeks to a lot of success. And I plan to keep this going into the holiday season I don't think I'm going to do it year round, like full time, but I'm definitely trying to gear up my account on Amazon for the fourth quarter. And one way to get a lot of product and get it cheap is actually go to the stores. You'd be shocked. The clearance aisle at stores, they, I mean, that their wholesale price is actually below wholesale prices a lot of the time. If you find the right clearance aisle, find the right store, you can find a lot of items, and I've found hundreds already, and I've really just gone in my, my I, have, I live in a town of, I don't know, I think there's 70,000 people in my town. I live next to some cities with closer to a half million. I haven't even gone to their stores yet. It's been, I mean, I got a nice car, but I, I've got a son, I've got things to do. I can't um, you know, take an hour and, and, and go on a trip or go, go on a tour of Targets and Walmarts, but... I found so much stuff at the clearance aisle, at Home Depot, at Walmart, 
really Home Depot has been my number one thing. But there's also these like disc. I don't know if if where you live it may not be the case. If you live in a less dense area, but in my town there's like, you know, there's Ross and TJ Maxx, those kind of like discount stores. Well, there's like other ones in my I, and there's one in my area called DD's Discounts, which is basically like a Ross or like a TJ Maxx. And I found so much stuff in there where I've literally spent, I spent like $300 the other day. I had to get two carts and fill it all up with the stuff because uh, it sells for a lot more on Amazon than it does at these little discount stores that cater to, you know, lower income people. And they're, they're, they're not looking to pay full price. But there's also not a lot of people going into those stores looking to flip by and flip the items. I'll tell you that much. So that's called retail arbitrage where you're, you're essentially playing the price arbitrage between a price at one store and a price at, on Amazon. Same thing happens in the stock market. Uh, in fact, you might hear a lot about high-frequency trading, and really that's just a fancy, fancy term for arbitrage. Literally, you have computers. I mean, it's really about the speed of your internet. Read Flash Boys. If you want to learn about high-frequency trading and how, how almost ridiculous it is, how ridiculously stupid it is. Um, read Flash Boys, and you'll be like, "Oh my God, this is so stupid, but yet so smart." I guess at the same time, uh, or ridiculous too. Uh, kind of all those things at the same time. But it's called retail arbitrage. So I go to a store, buy something, relist on Amazon. It sells. There's also something called online arbitrage, where you go to online stores. And you buy, you, you actually, this is, I actually think this is harder. It's actually a little bit harder to find. Uh, I've actually had to do a lot of digging to find something that I could buy from one e-commerce site and then ship it to Amazon and sell it. But it is out there. You've got to look in, I think, certain categories cater to it. You've also got to go off the beaten path. You're not going to be able to go to walmart.com or homedepot.com and find stuff really easily. Maybe it's out there, but it's going to be few and far between. You've got to go to the the little bit deeper into the internet, a little bit deeper into the e-commerce world, but it is out there. I did buy 76 tape dispensers the other day for $2, and they sell for $11 all day long on Amazon. After fees, about $6, I'll net two to three dollars per uh, tape dispenser. And you might laugh. You might say, oh, you're only making two dollars per. I paid two dollars. Okay, if you could buy a card for $2 and then list it on eBay and sell it for 4 you're doing pretty good. And so that's literally what I did with these tape dispensers. And with back-to-school season coming up, and really, we're, we're, we're coming into back-to-school season uh, as we speak. So I, I anticipate they'll actually sell at a faster clip, and I may be able to, the price might even actually go up during uh, the, that season or that uh, period of selling. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but th- so you have a wholesale, so you could get a reseller permit, you could buy wholesale. I, th- you know, none of these methods that I'm going to describe to you are like the absolute home run. They all take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. But if you put in the time, the, de- the money's definitely there. I've actually had the sales and uh, I- I've sold out of everything I've sent to Amazon. Believe it or not, I've, I've boxed up over 100 items that I've bought at Home Depot, Walmart, uh, really, those two stores and DD's Discount, those three stores, everything that I've sent to Amazon has sold within two to three days. Some of the stuff would sell within literally like hours. 
And it's typically, what I found is really good stuff is like uh, consumable stuff, like light bulbs. And like, I, I bought a bunch of, uh, bunch of trimming wire for like a weed eater. So like the little plastic things you got to put in your weed eater, those things like break and chip off. And so people buy those a lot and we're in the season of doing your yard and stuff. So they sell well. So you've got a wholesale business model, which I'm getting to. I'm opening some wholesale accounts. I'm starting that business model. The second type of business model is called the, it's usually referred to on podcasts and stuff that talk a lot about Amazon. It's called RA and OA, which is retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. And that's where you're, you're searching the closeouts, searching the really sweet deals. And you're literally just buying that stuff and then and boxing it up and sending it to Amazon and selling it on Amazon. The third way, and I've just ex- started experimenting with this, and I'm hoping that I can roll this into, this is actually, uh, if you listen to a lot of the Amazon podcasts and stuff, this is the most sustainable and best way to make money is you create your own product or you create a bundle. And I would say this is way more work. It's way, uh, I don't want to go too far in depth on this because there's, there's podcasts out there that describe it better. There's also so many steps that you've got to take before I think you want to get to this point, but essentially creating your own product. And that it doesn't mean calling up China and getting a factory to make something. It really doesn't mean that. Sometimes it's bundling two products together. So when you're on Amazon and you're on a product, oftentimes one of the little widgets it has on the page is say, people bought this product and this product together. So with baseball cards, you can imagine something like a binder often gets bought with binder pages. And so one of the best selling products actually uh, in the sports card, actually, I think it's the best uh, product in the sports card category is a binder with binder pages. So that's an example of a bundle. So you certainly could do that, um, not just in baseball cards. I'm, I'm really looking at Amazon far more broader than baseball cards. Baseball cards is one tiny little category. You've got home improvement. You've got clothing. You've got all these categories on Amazon. You can't necessarily sell on all of them. And that could be another show, another talking point. But there's enough ungated categories on Amazon that you can find stuff to sell. And you certainly could bundle your own products and and stuff like that. It's not as easy as I make it sound. It's not as easy as just going to Home Depot, buying something, putting it in a box, sending to Amazon. I think that's actually the easiest way to make money. Again, if you live in a dense area where you can drive to four Home Depots in an hour, which I can do, or I can go to five of these DD discounts or TJ Maxx or, you know, those little discount scores. I can literally go to like four of them in an hour. If you live in a little whole bunk town where there's one Walmart and that's where everybody shops, it's probably not going to be a great business model for you. You might want to focus on wholesale. You might want to focus on creating a bundle or your own products. But those are the three ways you can make money on Amazon. And the reason why I bring up Amazon, the reason why I I believe it's sustainable and a great addition to to your repertoire if you're already selling stuff is because there's not as much, there's there's definitely work involved, okay, 
finding the product, certainly driving to Home Depot and scanning the items, figuring out what to buy. That takes a little bit of effort, takes a little bit of work. There's no free money or, you know, you know, literal free money. I think making a website and putting up for information is way easier. Way you could, you know. I'd probably rather stay in the website business, but once you've made your, you know, like I said, I've got websites that make six, $7,000 a month. I'm looking to diversify a little bit, you know what I mean? What if Google cuts me off, okay? Or what if, uh, you know, Google cuts their payments or Amazon or eBay uh, cuts you all together? Hey, it'd be nice to have a little uh, little side business or a little something else bringing. Also, we're coming up on the fourth quarter on Amazon, which I really think you could do uh, you know, without even really looking, you could do 10,000 in sales probably in a month. And for the whole, the whole season, you, you should be able to do, I think you, should, you could do 20 to 50,000 in your first year. That's really what I'm shooting for. I'm really, my goal is a hundred thousand. That's really high. I think I'd, I'd be very, very lucky to get to that point. Uh, but I think I could, uh, you know, realistically get somewhere in that range. Twenty to fifty thousand dollars in sales, and again, if you're looking at a ten to twenty percent profit margin, which is really what I'm shooting for, you know, ten percent on uh, fifty grand on sales—that's five grand. That's pretty good. But the reason why I like Amazon is you've got the fulfill by Amazon, and if you're going to use Amazon, you're going to sell on Amazon. Use fulfilled by Amazon. Don't list it on there and ship it yourself. You might as well just stay on eBay. That's what you're going to do. Just stay on eBay. But I'll give you some some insight about fulfilled by Amazon, which a lot of people don't don't know or maybe don't even realize. Um, the bigger and heavier your items, it's actually cheaper. Well, you might not might not uh, you might not believe this, but it's actually cheaper for me to send those items to Amazon and then have Amazon ship those to the customer than for me to ship those ship the item direct to the customer. So I'll give you an example. So I bought all these hoses. So I went to DD's discount, bought all these hoses, these pocket hoses. You've probably seen them on TV. They're the ones that they're made of fabric and they they expand when you turn on the water and they shrink. And it's actually a really nice hose. I bought one right when I bought my house. I bought, I bought one for my backyard and I immediately wanted a second one. Um, they're very nice hose. I think I paid 30 or $40 for mine and I was at DD's discounts uh, and they were selling them for like 12 bucks which I think is, is, is basically like a wholesale price because they sell for $30, uh, $30 all day long. Um, but what I found, uh, which was really interesting, is I, I, I bought maybe two dozen of these hoses, boxed them all up, sent them into Amazon. It probably cost me, um, because you're sending things in, in bulk to Amazon, so I've got these big, you know, three foot, four foot boxes. When you really start, you know, if I get to the $50,000 in sales, I'm gonna have to start doing pallets or uh, L less than truckload. I forget the LTR or something like that uh, is the acronym for it. But, you know, I'll basically be loading stuff up on a truck and having them ship stuff. But for right now, I'm just, you know, loading up a big old box and, and shipping at UPS. And you get to ship via uh, Amazon's rates, 
to UPS. So if I went to a store, it wouldn't be worth it. But you can ship, Amazon lets you ship to them using their account, essentially, and you get really great rates. So it's, it's probably another, depending on how many items are in there, depending on where it's going to, because I'm on the West Coast, some of my stuff goes all the way to Florida, goes all the way to South Carolina. It's a little more expensive to ship out there, but I do send some stuff up to Seattle, send some stuff over to Tracy or wherever. You know, the more fulfillment centers that Amazon develops, it'll probably get a little tighter. I won't have to spend as much, but you're looking at probably another dollar per item. So I paid $12 for the hoses. I end up paying about 13 once they're, uh, in Amazon's fulfillment center. But what I found, it's actually cheaper than to, to ship the item. So what I ended up doing with these hoses, and I'm giving you an example of these hoses, not that you can go out and sell hoses, although if you find them for, for that price, you probably should. But this goes for any item, which is about a pound or more. These hoses weigh about a pound and a half, and I have items that certainly weigh more than that. I got some locks, about a big old lock set, a couple lock sets, and that weigh three or four pounds. If I were to ship that myself, even using eBay, I even tested it out. I know this for a fact because I tested it out. So I listed the hoses on eBay because I, what I've actually found was the hoses actually sell for more on eBay. So I listed my hoses on eBay with the hoses sitting in Amazon's fulfillment center. And then when the hoses would sell on eBay, you can go to Amazon and basically... It's called a, a fulfillment order. You go to your hoses and you create a fulfillment order and you just put in the guy's address and you click ship. And the most, the most expensive shipping was $9. So I pay back, it is $9.60. So if you factor in, it costs me another dollar to get it to Amazon. It costs me $10.60 essentially to ship that item. I was going to ship one of the hoses. I tested it out. I wanted to see what the cost was to ship the hoses. Um, and this is from going from the West Coast to the East Coast. If you're closer, some of the fulfillment center, if the person bought the, the hose and was closer to where my hose was, was sitting in a fulfillment center, it costs as little as $6 to send them the hose. And on, uh, on eBay, I, I, you know, I, I tested some uh, shipping labels it was going to cost me between $13 and $16 to ship out the exact same hose. So it was actually cheaper to box the hose up, send it to Amazon, and let them send it to the customer than to sell it on eBay and send them the hose myself. It was several dollars cheaper, and that's not counting the boxes I would need. I would need at least a dozen boxes that were like the size of this pocket hose, those would at least cost me a dollar because I wouldn't be able to buy them in any kind of quantity. At least a dollar a piece. At least. Probably a dollar twenty-five, dollar fifty a piece, if I could find one. And I have to find it locally because I'd if I bought it online, then I was paying shipping. And that's the thing you gotta think about, especially if you're on uh, you know, you really start selling on Amazon is it's actually cheaper just to box it all up in one box and send it to them. Because if you need all these different size boxes and packing peanuts and labels and all this stuff, that's an extra dollar to $2 per box that you're sending out. Whereas the postage plus the box was actually cheaper just to send it through Amazon, mainly because they probably have efficiencies and they have, you know, they're, they're passing along their, their uh, buying power onto you. 
and you, you're using their FedEx account and their UPS account, and even some of the stuff gets delivered uh, via Amazon. Amazon has their own delivery drivers, and I had uh, two of my hoses actually sell that way or actually get shipped that way, and it was really cheap. It was like six bucks. So my profit margin actually went up by having Amazon handle all the packing, packing and shipping. And that's why Amazon is a great, sustainable business model. Because someone like me, who's already making money on websites, who already wants to live the good life, I don't want to be sitting over here packing and taping and boxing all this stuff up. I really don't want to do that. I just want to buy the stuff, throw it all in one box, send it to Amazon, price it. It's basically like check out my cards. Amazon is literally like check out my cards. You buy the cards, you box them up, you send them, check out my cards, you price them, and you watch them sell. Amazon's the exact same way, except you can sell hoses and light bulbs and, uh, you know, dog collars and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's something that you might want to think about. We're coming up, again, into back-to-school season. We're coming up into the holiday season. I think it's a channel you should explore. It's not sustainable in the sense that you can turn the light switch off like a website, like we've done with Sports Car Radio. We've literally kind of turned the light switch off and the money still rolls in. That, those kind of business models are great and are amazing and are certainly worth pursuing and doing everything you can. And in fact, if you've, you haven't tried that business model, if you haven't put any time or effort, a significant time or effort into it, then you probably should start there first. Because like I said, I've been doing that for almost 10 years now. I've got websites that I haven't logged into for years and they make thousands of dollars a month. So I'm really trying to diversify into some other categories, into some other revenue streams. And I think a lot of you guys out there, if you're breaking, if you're uh, selling cards here and there, it's definitely worth looking into. But before you go to Home Depot, before you go to Walmart, before you go to TJ Maxx or Marshalls or Ross or whatever and try to buy some stuff, do some research. I'm giving you, I'm basically just wetting your beak right now. I'm like putting a little taste of the food on your tongue. There's gated categories there's restricted items. There's things, you know, as a new seller on Amazon, there's a lot of hoops that you've got to jump through. It's not as easy as, I mean, it's definitely not as easy as eBay. But what you could do if you're an eBay seller right now, you could really strongly consider, if you have a strong, strong seller on eBay, especially if it weighs more than a pound, you really should think about not necessarily sending all your inventory to Amazon and letting them fulfill it for you, but definitely a portion of it. You could definitely send in a portion of your stuff to, to Amazon. And then uh, when it made sense, and when it makes sense is if you have your item for sale and say it's sitting in the Minnesota Fulfillment Center in Amazon. So you've got your widget or your pocket hose or whatever it is, and it's sitting in the Minnesota uh fulfillment center and somebody from Chicago, 
which if my geography is correct, isn't too far from Minnesota because I've actually done that drive. I've flown into Minnesota and drove into Chicago. It's going to cost you, especially if you live out here in California, you live on the East Coast, you live down in Texas, it's going to cost you less to fulfill that order and ship it from Amazon than to ship it yourself, especially if you start including box fees, labeling fees, your driving time to the post office, having to get it there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's something I definitely think about. If you're selling a lot on eBay, think about ways you can open up fulfillment channels to where you don't have to pack and ship all this stuff. Now, do I expect a lot of people out there listening to this podcast to, <laughs> to follow this advice? Really not. Because I've actually been, uh, you know, many, many, many times on this show, I've explained the same concept to group breakers. That packing and shipping and sorting, you're not making any money. Think about it. If you're a group breaker, the only time you make money is when you're opening packs on camera. And that's the only thing you should do. In fact, if you want to be the most successful group breaker in the business, outsource all the packing and shipping to somebody else. Whether it's to check out my cards or you find some, some other person that doesn't. And I'm not talking about an employee because the, those guys come and go or having a partner do it or it be a part of the business. I'm talking about literally open the cards up, put it in a box, send it to somebody and be done. That's literally how the only way you can scale that business. And you should think about that the same way uh, if, you're, if you're selling on Amazon or if you want, or selling on eBay, or if you want to sell on your own e-commerce site or something you really want to do, you've got to start eliminating a lot of the processes and start passing that process on to something, someone else, especially mundane routine tasks like picking the item, packing it and shipping. That's literally like a brain dead type thing that you can do. Any kind of brain dead process that you can outsource, you definitely should. But definitely if you're selling on eBay, even if it's, you know, single cards, again, you're not going to sell those on Amazon. You should just send them in to check out my cards, click the little button that lists them on Amazon and call it a day. Do not list single cards on Amazon. Do not list current high-end or mid-to-high-end boxes on Amazon. They're, they're probably not going to sell. I could be wrong, but I think you'd be wasting your time sending in almost probably 99% of the stuff that comes out, you'd be wasting your time sending in Amazon. But there's so many other things you could be selling. There's so many other items out there. Like I said, I'm literally going to Home Depot. I was at Home Depot the other day. I literally go to their clearance aisle. There's a whole shelf of these light bulbs that cost, I think they were like $2.50 each. I check on Amazon. They sell for $10 all day long. So I'm like, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. I, I wonder if this is really, this is going to work out. So I got one of those like little, uh, not a shopping cart, but it's like those little uh, 
rolling pallet kind of things that you, you find at those big warehouse clubs. I load the whole thing up with these light bulbs. I send them in Amazon. Not two days later, every single one has sold. And that so I probably made, I made way more. I'm shooting for a 10%, 20% margin. I'm looking to turn and burn, okay? I literally made like 60, 70% margin on these light bulbs that I bought for two bucks. I sold them for like 10. After fees, you make, uh, you know, like six, seven bucks. So definitely something you want to think about. Definitely more sustainable than packing and shipping and breaking and flipping and doing the same thing over and over and over again. I think the sustainable money is out there. It's just, again, I would say most of the sellers that I see, most of the sellers I read about, they love fondling cards. I'm convinced. 99% of these people in the hobby love just opening cards and fondling them. Saying, ooh, look what I pulled, look what I have. Basically breaking even and doing it again and again and again. If you want to step up your lifestyle, and I'm the per- my brother and I are a perfect example of this. this. When, we, when I started this podcast almost 10 years ago, I was dead broke. I was driving a 1973 Mercedes that barely ran. And I couldn't afford it. The gas was like five. I remember the gas was 555 at one point. Diesel gas was 555 a gallon. So obviously I couldn't afford to put gas in the tank at the time. Because I wasn't even spending $5 a day on food at, at some points. Okay, I was really, really broke. Okay, again, this is in 2008, 2009. I live in the Central Valley, one of the hardest hit, if not the hardest hit outside of maybe Las Vegas, uh, like, you know, the outskirts of Las Vegas, not the outskirts of Las Vegas, but, you know, not the strip. But uh, I think the housing market in Vegas might have collapsed even more so, but it, it, we were, there were a lot of people hurting here in, in Northern California. Nobody was hiring. College grads were working at Walmart and, and McDonald's. And I had no money. And because I couldn't get a job somewhere, I had to make my own money. I had to start finding my own ways to make sustainable money. It started with the websites, and now we're starting to branch off into Amazon and stuff. And I think, really, if this Amazon thing, I, I'm only three or four weeks in. If it keeps going the way it is, I'll do, I'll do, I'll easily do 100000 next year in Amazon. And at a 20 30% margin... That's 20, 30 grand in my pocket. And that'll be like a side, it'll be literally a side job. Something I do, I literally do it once a week. So I drop my son off. My, my wife does work. Keep telling her to cut back or find an easier job, but she kind of likes what she does. But uh, so she works. So I take care of our son. Um, but, you know, grandma and grandpa want to hang out with, uh, with our boy. So I'll take him over there. The days I take him over there, or the day I take him over there, I go around, I go shopping. So I've done that the last three or four weeks. And I really think uh, it's going to turn into probably 20, 30, 40 grand, a one day a week thing. Definitely not broke anymore. 
definitely paid more in taxes this last year than uh, most people pay. Most people make, actually. I paid more in tax. My wife and I should, should include her. My wife and I paid more in tax than most people make in salary for the whole year last year. I don't have a job. I don't clock in anywhere. I haven't had a job in years. In fact, I spend more, t- more of my time volunteering. I volunteer more hours. Even if you include Amazon, you include the websites, you can include this podcast. I spend more time volunteering than doing all that stuff combined. I drive a much nicer Mercedes. I've got a gorgeous house that we've just spent a fortune on. <laughs> If you work hard, if you focus, if you really give up that nine-to-five lifestyle, you, it will pay off. Trust me. And even more so now. I mean, I wish there was Facebook ads and Google ads and all this stuff 10 years ago. Facebook wasn't even around, I don't think, 10 years ago. Or it was just, you know, MySpace was still number one. Certainly didn't have Instagram or Snapchat or all these other channels. Amazon certainly wasn't as big as it was either. In fact, eBay might have been bigger at the time. So it's out there. The money's out there. The opportunities are out there. I would say 99% of the people I meet just really just want to, they want to talk about having those opportunities, want to talk about the lifestyle, but they don't want to put in the work. The 1% of the people that do do the work, do put in the effort, end up getting rewarded. And it's also intelligently managing your time, managing what you're doing. So many people think, like a group breaker or like a rip and flipper, that just thinks, oh, I've got to rip more. I've got to hire a guy for $10 an hour, and I've just got to keep doing what I'm doing and do more of it. No, that's really not what you should do. You should figure out where the tipping point is, get just to that, and then oh, start looking for some other channels to sell through or look th- some other avenues. But definitely sustainable if you focus on it. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully this podcast helps, uh, you know, pique your interest in some of this stuff. Again, you can contact me at sportscardshow at gmail.com, at sportscardradio on Twitter. You can get at us on Facebook as well. Uh, but what I would uh, suggest you do is uh, listen to some podcasts, read some website. I think some of the best information is actually in podcast form these days. There's uh, the Ecom Crew podcast. There's also another podcast. Uh, it's, ah, uh, man, it's, uh, I can't think of the name, but it was like maybe like million dollar seller. I, I can't remember, but there's another podcast out there. If you just search like Amazon FBA podcast, you'll be able to find uh, the really good ones. But there's a guy that has like 300 some shows where he literally talks about everything, everything you need to know about selling on Amazon, getting started, uh, you know, building your, building your, sell, your account up and stuff like that. Um, the types of products you should focus on, the types of products you shouldn't focus on. And that's actually where he has a show where he brought on this couple that literally talked about exactly what I'm doing. This couple talked about going into Home Depot and going into Walmart and buying stuff off the clearance aisle, and they, they did like 100000 in sales. 
in a year. In their first year, they did like 100,000 on sales and they said they made you know, about a 25% margin. I'm thinking about myself. And the guy literally said, it's the easiest, most kind of brain dead thing that you could do. And he thought, he was like, it's so easy. And so I thought, man, maybe I'll give this a try. This was like about a month ago. So I started going to these stores. I started, you know, there's some tools you need. There's some apps and some, again, you need to do some research. Don't just go to Home Depot right now and go buy some light bulbs. I don't, don't recommend you doing that. Do some research about it first. Figure out all the little steps you need to take. Once you do that, uh, the doors will start opening up. And yes, you can literally go to Home Depot. Uh, I, the, these other, I just spent just two days ago, I spent about $200 at Home Depot, uh, send, sent the stuff to Amazon and I netted about three ten. for, it was only four, five items. I bought five or six items for $40 each. And I sold those items, uh, for 80, about $80 each. Uh, and after fees made uh, a little over a hundred bucks and total time invested was definitely less than this podcast. Definitely less than we're talking probably less than about 20 minutes made about a hundred bucks. And that's just one item, one store, one opportunity. So it's definitely out there. Opportunities out there. It's not like it's free money. You definitely have to do a little bit of work. Got to be motivated. Willing to hustle just a little bit, but uh, definitely worth uh, trying. So hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Hopefully this podcast is a little different than what we've done in the past. But like I said, we've got, you know, we're mid-season baseball. We're, uh, you know, football. We're, you know, we got some rookies out there, but nobody really cares. Basketball's over. We got, we got the draft. That'll be exciting. Hockey's over. You know, there's not a lot going on. But if you're looking to sum things up, if you're looking for the sustainable money in the hobby, don't touch the cards. Don't touch the baseball cards. The less you touch cards, the more money you're going to make. The more you're fondling them and flipping through them and sorting them and boxing them and shipping them, the more time you are wasting. You are wasting time. There is nobody that makes a living sorting cards and flipping through them. Nobody is a millionaire doing that. There's a lot of millionaires I know that make a lot of money off websites. In fact, some of the richest companies in the world are websites, literally. The biggest companies in the world are websites. <laughs> and the biggest e-commerce website in the world is Amazon. Not eBay. Not your own website. It's Amazon. And so if you can leverage it, again, I gave you two ways to leverage Amazon. If you love eBay and you're a power seller or whatever, and that's just your thing, and again, eBay is far less restrictive on what you can sell and what you can list. In fact, there's almost no restrictions. But I, like I said, 
There are ways you can still use Amazon to fulfill your orders. And so you don't have to pack and ship everything or anything at all. And if you really start doing the math, start putting your pen to your paper, you'll realize all that time boxing, packing, shipping, putting it in your car, driving it to the post office, you are wasting time. That is just eating, eating, in, eating into your profit and eating into your free time as well. Which is really why you want to work for yourself. You really want to work for yourself so you can pick up and go to Vegas and kick it anytime you want. Or go to lunch at any hour. Or take the day off. God, I took a three, four hour nap today. I was exhausted. It's so hot. I was like, I'm just going to take a nap. Went to lunch, came back, recorded the podcast. Going to make dinner here in a minute. Probably watch some TV, go to bed. <laughs> Do the same thing tomorrow. It can happen for you if you're willing to put the effort in, willing to work. Again, most people aren't. You could email me and I could give you step-by-step instructions and show you everything you're doing, but if you don't have the work ethic or the desire or the passion to make it happen, it's not going to happen. And like I said, don't, you know, don't be discouraged if you can't make it happen. Like I said, 99% of the people I meet, they're not capable of making, making their own business, making their own money, especially a lot of it. You're probably better off sitting at, at your job Better off working nine to five, collecting the check, getting your insurance. But if you do have the desire to step it up a little bit, definitely a great time. Again, we're moving into the fourth quarter, moving into back to school season, but definitely the fourth quarter is a, a wonderful time to sell. But back to school is great when you've got 76 tape dispensers that you've got to move through. I don't know if I, I might not be able to move through them all this uh, holiday season or this uh, back to school season, but I'll probably be able to move through enough of them to where I'll be at a, a slight profit or almost a break even with the inventory I have. And then um, throughout the year, I can kind of like milk the inventory down. Maybe even, it might even be a year from now until I sell out of all of them. I don't really know. But if they sell like the light bulbs, like I said, I sent in 30 some odd light bulbs three weeks ago and literally within 24, 48 hours, they were all sold. I sent in like 20 of these like spools that you put on like a Ryobi weed eater. And literally, I had to raise the price. That's the other thing you'll start learning about Amazon is there's a buy box price and then there's a the low price. And sometimes like the lowest price is not what they have in the buy box. Like you click add to cart, it's actually a higher price than uh, you could have gotten for if you kind of dug around Amazon. That's the like the interesting thing about Amazon. They don't always show you the lowest price. You're not always buying it, especially if you're not like really looking. You're not always buying something at the lowest price on Amazon. There's someone actually listing at a lower price. But if they only have one of the item, or if it's in the wrong fulfillment center, Amazon has all these algorithms that's really, you know, it's really looking to get the product to the customer fast. And that's really what customers are looking for on Amazon. That's why I love Amazon, especially Amazon Prime. The type of buyer, the type of customer is not necessarily a low-cost buyer. It's more about speed and convenience for them. That's exactly the kind of buyer you want. Think if you were a group breaker and 
90% of your customers didn't care about the price. They just cared about speed and convenience. You could charge more than Joe Bull Breaker. Typically, that's not how it works, especially on eBay, too. Typically, the lowest price kind of moves on there. If you're not near the lowest price or within a dollar of it, it's not going to sell. Whereas that's not the case on Amazon. And as I found out with the, with the, um, the Ryobi weed eater things, I started listing them at the low price. They started selling like really fast within hours. And I was thinking to myself, whoa, I need to raise the price. This is crazy. And so I started raising the price. Raising, I was like $4 over the lowest price, but my item was still in the quote unquote buy box. So when people clicked on the item, it showed them my price, my item even though there was people selling the same item for a lower price. And my item was selling. I ended up jacking the price all the way up to like $13, $14 and selling out. Started at nine, went all the way up to 13 and sold a, a few, a, quite a few at, at 13. And I think I paid like $2 each for the little spools or something. They were on super clearance, like 75% off. I think retail price is, was $9.99 on them. And I got them for about two fifty, and I could sell them all the way up to about thirteen dollars before um, before I ran out. Really, probably could have gone even higher. I don't know, but at some point, I think you lose the buy box. Again, I'm still trying to figure out Amazon, but three or four weeks in, and I'm already kind of anticipating a pretty nice holiday season. And if I think if I stick with it. Um, you know, develop some new strategies, get into some of these other categories, maybe open up a wholesale, uh, some more wholesale accounts, get some of my own products on there. Definitely could turn it into a, a you know, 100K, 200K type sales type thing and definitely churn in, um, you know, between 10 and 20,000, I think, on the low end uh, in terms of uh, net income. So it's out there. Money's out there. For those of you willing to hustle, willing to do the work, doing the legwork, not just doing the easy thing, not just doing what everybody else is doing. Everybody in this hobby is selling on eBay. Everybody in this hobby thinks, you know, vintage cards or opening a card shop or doing something like that or being a group breaker is how you make money. It's not how you make money. It's not how you drive the bends and how you really move up in life. If you want to move up in life, go where the puck isn't. Just like a great hockey player. Is anticipating where the, the anticipating where the puck is going to be. A great basketball player, a great rebounder is going to anticipate how the ball is going to bounce off the rim as it's in the air. A great football player is going to adjust to the ball, adjust to the defender, adjust to the weather condition, the field conditions. If you're just oh, I'm going to be a great breaker and pack and ship everything myself, you're, you're going to be like every other breaker. That's going to have to move back home or move, you know, move back into mom's basement or move back to just selling Bowman Chrome or kind of the high end stuff or the mid end, mid to high end stuff. You have to wait till football season rolls around. And you've got to outsource the mon a lot of the mundane tasks. So Amazon really does a lot of the, it does really the listing creates the, you know, if you're selling somebody else's products that are, you know, have a UPC code on it, they, they are, there's already a listing there for you. You don't have to write anything, type anything out. eBay's gotten better at that. And the description portion of eBay is not as big as it once was. But the, the part that Amazon really, really handles well and actually 
far cheaper than you can on your own is packing and shipping, especially if you include the cost of boxes and bubble mailers and all the tape and all the little stuff you're going to need, packing peanuts and air bubbles and all that. Let Amazon handle all that. So hopefully it inspired maybe one or two of you to get out there, try some of this stuff. Send me your success stories at sportscardshow at gmail.com or at sportscardradio on Twitter. Until then, until another time, we are going to close out today's show. Until uh, another time, another place. Um, we'll be back some other time. Um, you know, again, we're coming up into the basketball season, coming up into football season. We'll have more sports card focus shows. But today took a little bit of time as we're, again, uh, you know, the amateur podcasts or the amateur guys in this business will tell you to do this in two months when it's really too late. It's really too late two months from now to really gear up for the holiday season. You really need to be gearing up right now. So hopefully inspired a couple of you to do that. If not, sit back and relax. I have no idea why you guys work nine to five jobs because boy, you can kick back and relax and chill and uh, come to come to California. We, when you quit your nine to five job, come out here. We'll kick it out the beach. Go to San Francisco. Find a nice restaurant. Go to In and Out Burger. Go to Shake Shack, Chick Fil A, and uh, we'll go to Home Depot and buy some light bulbs and make some money. Anyways, hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Until next time, we are out of here. <laughs>